What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to the Nutra Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime, really my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. I don't know. I don't even know if I deserve that anymore. You're you're down and out, Eric. You're down and out. What do any of us deserve right now? I was going to say uh, half the guys who recorded uh, our intro are out. <laughs> <laughs> the curse of the neutral zone <laughs> exactly uh eric of course on uh monday we hear from head coach vic fangio this is our day after recap podcast uh, so we'll take you through uh what vic fangio had to say on monday we'll recap the game plus uh we'll talk a little bit about how we think the broncos can right this ship there's a there's a few Teams in the NFL that are 0-3, the Broncos included. You know, I know that things look bleak right now, especially with the injury news. But uh, we're going to come up with a formula for how the Broncos can get this thing back on track. Eric's been up all night crafting this plan. He's the architect of this plan. We're going we're gonna to unveil it here so that uh, Broncos country can just calm down for a little bit. I'm just going to say that if Ben Swanson appears on this podcast, it's going to be more than I can handle. So I hope there's no surprises on this episode. No surprises today. Um, Eric, of course, let's start with uh, the big news on Monday. Jarrell Casey out for the season. The five-time pro, uh, pro bowler tore his bicep, which, uh, Eric, I know that's something that you almost did in the gym one time. True. I mean – Jarrell and I have similar sized biceps. So <laughs> I can only imagine how much that hurt. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, I feel terrible for Jarrell. You know, he had a, a strong start to the season. It wasn't spectacular by any means because the Broncos pass rush had been lacking a little bit. Um, but certainly the probably the defensive leader on the team with no Vaughn Miller, certainly the most veteran guy and was – I mean, they've been hit hard at that position group now with Jarrell Casey and Draymond Jones and Demarcus Walker. And, Phil, you just – to me, it's less about – and maybe this isn't fair to Jarrell, but if this injury happened in training camp, I think I would have said, well, how do the Broncos replace Jarrell Casey and what do they do without a five-time Pro Bowler? This is a big loss. And I think the reaction both for me and really everyone on social media is, oh, my gosh, another one, another season-ending injury. And so it's less about Jarrell and just – this is, I think they now have 16 Pro Bowl guys who are out, you know, combined 16 Pro Bowls between Casey, Vaughn Miller, Cortland Sutton, Philip Lindsay, and A.J. Boye. That's a lot of Pro Bowls on the sideline. Yeah, just add it to the list. I agree with you. I mean, you just, uh, at this point, you're just rolling with the punches as they just continue to bombard the Broncos. I mean, it's uh, it's really... I know that uh, Vic Fangio is hesitant to say like, oh, I've never seen anything like this. He wants to put on this calm demeanor, but it is really something to just be like, what is going on here? I mean, we're not the LA Chargers. <laughs> you know, this this kind of stuff usually does not happen to this magnitude and, and to these types of players. I mean, you're talking about the top 
players on this team. A lot of the reasons why we were excited about this team coming in, those guys are all gone. Yeah, and it's not even that they're hurt. It's that it's the week three has just ended, and this many guys are either on IR or out for extended periods of time. I mean, it's just – and that's – you know, that's even without saying that, hey, you're starting right tackle – and we'll get to the offensive line issues, but your starting right tackle opted out before the season ever began. So the this team, Phil, I think had better depth than it had in a couple of years, several years, but it's being tested re- really heavily right now with how many injuries they've suffered here. And, you know, uh, whenever your quarterback goes down, I think that that's probably the biggest. And I'm not sure, Eric, you and I talked after the game yesterday – I'm not sure even if Drew Locke was in that game against the Buccaneers, would that have made enough of a difference to give the Broncos a chance in that one, just based off of how the whole team played, but morale maybe would have been a little bit higher heading into that one, but Drew going to miss this Thursday's game against the Jets as well. He uh, uh, continues to uh, come back from that bruised shoulder, but uh Vic Fangio not ready to quite name a starting quarterback just yet on Monday. We know that it's going to either be Jeff Driscoll or Brett Rippon, both played against the Bucs, but uh, Fangio said it's not been enough time for Blake Bortles to get in there. Uh, But what is going to determine who the starting quarterback is? This is what Fangio had to say on Monday. Just to think about it through, you know, we don't want to make a hasty decision, you know, and ultimately come up with the guy that we think or the best combination that we think will give us the best chance to win the game. Eric, and at this point, you know, he's just got to look at the tape a little bit more here to, to determine that. But if I were to just guess, I would probably say they go back to Driscoll. What do you think? Yeah, I think when you look at the tape, you've got to think, did Jeff do enough good things against Pittsburgh that suggest, like, hey, you can wipe away all the bad that happened against the Buccaneers? And is there a way to carry over some of that second half performance against Pittsburgh to week four against the Jets? Because the Jets don't have the same pass rush that the Steelers or the Buccaneers have, which will be a nice reprieve after uh, at least six sacks in the last two games. But, um, you know, I think the only way you go with Rippon is if you decide Driscoll mentally is either rattled or not prepared to make the very basic checks or reads that you have to make at the line of scrimmage against pressure to make sure that you're giving your team even a chance to be successful. Because there were times, Phil, on Sunday when, you know, whether it was getting the ball quick out quickly enough or identifying where he was going to go with the ball or making a, a change in protection of the line of scrimmage, those things didn't happen. And so you're basically doomed from the outset of the play and you're not even giving your playmakers a chance to get the ball and go do something with it. And so – if they, that to me is why you would start ripping is, is if you think Driscoll's at a point where he's not going to be able to recover from that. But I, I would agree with you that I would lean toward Driscoll starting here just from his experience. And hey, if he plays like he did in the second half against Pittsburgh, they've got a good chance of winning this game. If he plays the way he did against Tampa for most of the game, they're going to struggle again. And from a fan's perspective, it's so frustrating to just watch him get the ball and then just go down immediately. And you're just – it's frustrating when that just happens so often. And uh, 
you know, now we have an idea of how other teams felt going up against like Von Miller, you know, it's just frustrating when another team has that kind of a pass rush. And uh, after the game, Driscoll was like, yeah, I feel comfortable making those protection changes, but he felt like maybe he missed a couple in this game. I would have to agree with him. Yes, he missed a couple, but Eric, more than that, the frustrating thing to me was heading into that game. I saw a path for victory for this team. And to me, that path would have been get the ball in your playmaker's hands, play clean football. Don't turn the ball over, uh, play smart on defense. Don't give up anything too easy. And the Broncos just didn't do any of those things. They, Melvin Gordon only hit, rushed the ball eight times. I mean, uh, I, before the game, I would have said, give him the ball as much, you know, try to run the game and set a physical tone and be the aggressive team on offense and try to dominate time of possession, keep the ball out of Brady's hands. You know, there's ways to win with your backup quarterback. And the Broncos, right off the bat with the block punt and boom, you're down seven and it just – spiraled out of there uh, that was frustrating to me because I was like you could have a good game plan stay you know mentally tough but that just didn't happen yeah and I think the blocked punt more than anything was just a it was demoralizing you know it wasn't the fact that you were down seven nothing it was you have a nice defensive stand and then uh, you know Driscoll even shows a flash of being able to use his legs to get a first down and the punt gets blocked, and they're up 7 nothing before you know it. And it just kind of, you know, it was symbolic of everything that's happened. Of You you have like a, a second or two where you think you can find success, and then something really bad happens. Um, yeah, they weren't, they weren't clean. I will say with Gordon, part of the issue was that they, they didn't have many plays. I mean, I think they had two yards in the first quarter, two total net yards in the first quarter after that initial drive. Um, and so when, you, when you're going three and out, which they did on consecutive drives, you're not going to be able to build up these carries. And then truly, the Broncos were down 23-3. to three. It felt like in a blink of the eye in the second quarter. And so you know, can you stay with the run? Yeah, and, and should they have? Probably. But, I mean, they like you said, Phil, there's a path there where you run the ball, you keep the game close, you – try to get the ball to K.J. Hamler and Jerry Judy and Noah Fant, and they did target Fant 10 times, and he had a couple drops. He didn't play a great game. But when you don't have guys like Von Miller and A.J. Boye and Philip Lindsay and Drew Locke, the path to victory becomes smaller, smaller. It becomes more narrow, and you have to do certain things. Like, you have to stay on this very precise checklist of things. And the Broncos got off it quickly, and once you did that, especially against a good team like the Bucs, you're not going to be able to recover. And, you know, do you have a little bit more leeway against the Jets? I would think so, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more as the week progresses. But against the Bucs, you cannot do that, and the margin for error right now is almost zero. And and they just made the mistakes. That's what I mean. That's, what the, that's what's frustrating is the mistakes. I mean, don't get the punt blocked. You know, th- these kind of things just – they kill you. And uh, I, it happened right off the bat, you know, when you're down 7 nothing right away. So, you know, I, I would love more than anything else to just see them play some clean football. And if they can do that, I think they have a, a, a better team than the Jets. 
but but can they go out there and execute and do the things they need to do to win a game? You know, that's a bigger question mark is like, can they just go out there and execute and play clean football? And, uh, you know, I thought that that's what they needed to do against the Bucks, And for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. Well, and that be, that's, of course, becomes easier said than done the farther down the depth chart you go. You know, Drew Locke is more likely to play clean football and identify checks and protections at the line than Jeff Driscoll is. And, you know, Jarrell Casey and A.J. Boye are probably more likely to play clean football because they get more reps in practice. They're running these schemes more often. Uh, they're probably more likely to play clean football than uh, Deshaun Williams, who had a nice game, or, uh, you know, Michael Ojemudia or St. Bassey. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. It shouldn't be a surprise that as you go down for, from a talent standpoint and a rep standpoint, the football gets a little sloppier. I mean, that's what we see in college football. And that's not be, just because of the amount of practice time. Some of that is talent decided, I think. I thought Michael Ojemudia actually came back and played pretty well, you know, uh, going up back-to-back weeks against future Hall of Famers. I felt like Ojemudia, he didn't stand out. It's not like Brady was picking on him and going deep on him all the time. And well, he, I thought doubled, that that was – doubled Evans for a considerable portion of the game. And when they didn't, he was scoring touchdowns. <laughs> Essentially. Mike Evans, two yards, two catches – Two touchdowns. That's a nice day at the office. Not quite. 400 yards, three touchdowns. Say that one more time. 400 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, so he wasn't Trevor Simeon. No, it wasn't quite that. Got it, got it. Well, one of the mistakes the Broncos uh, made was a safety in the end zone. Jeff Driscoll sacked six times. But uh, Vic Fangio said it's not all on the O-line. You know, it's our pass protection, which involves all 11 guys out there at any, on any given play. Obviously, the O-line is a big part of that. Um, you know, we've got to run crisper routes. Uh, we've got to get rid of the ball quicker. We've got to win up front in our one-on-one matchups, you know, time and time again. And uh, – it's been a little bit of everything that's caused a lot of problems. Eric, what do you think about that? I mean, obviously, it takes an offense to be able to move the ball and avoid some of these sacks, not all on the O-line. But uh, how do you feel like that O-line did play? I mean, there's, there's issues, clearly. Uh, it's almost ironic that Garrett Bowles, who everybody talks so much about in the offseason, might be your most consistent offensive lineman right now. And that holding penalty that he got called for I don't think was a great call. He kind of took the uh, defender's arms out from under him, but it wasn't really a hold. But, you know, we've seen Dalton Reisner struggle at times. Boyd Cushenberry has had back-to-back games where he's had a tough time going against veteran players. Um, you know, I think you kind of expect that from a rookie. Uh, Graham Glasgow has said he's not as good as he should be. And then, of course, Elijah Wilkinson is, is having a tough time at that right tackle position. And while Vic Fangio said – they're not going to make any changes right now at center or right tackle. He did say it remains a possibility down the road, but Phil, I'm not, you know, is the offensive line playing great? Certainly not. And they might not even be adequate at the moment, but think about the difference between when Drew Locke was in there in week one. Uh, versus One sack only. Yeah. One sack, five quarterback hits. Um, 
and then you go from seven last week to six this week, and you've got to realize that that is not all on the offensive line. You know, I don't know if that's some of that is receivers who are supposed to be the hot route, not identifying that need need to stop and turn around. If that's Jeff Driscoll, like we said earlier, not identifying protections or where to go with the ball quickly. If that's not if that's a running back not picking up, uh, you know, assignments in the backfield. But there is more at play here than just the offensive line because we've seen the operation look much smoother when Drew Locke is in there and when one guy should not make that big of a difference. Yeah, and the other thing is the last two weeks the Broncos have been playing catch-up. They've been trying to play from behind. The running game for at least against the Bucks was non-existent. So, you know, to me, there's ways to help your quarterback not get sacked because let's face it, some of those sacks were just drive killers. They just stopped the drive. And, uh, you know, to help, you need to call some screen plays. You need to make the Bucks pay for, you know, being so aggressive. And even after the game, Bruce Arians was like, yeah, we tried to attack them up the middle, you know, which makes sense. You've got a rookie center there. We tried to attack that. Shaq Barrett, after the game, said they felt like they dominated the game. You never want to hear a former Bronco say that they felt like they dominated the game. But that's what happened. And uh, we even saw Shaq do the motorcycle dance. How would yeah. you feel about that? You didn't like that? No, I don't, I don't think that was um, – maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think that was uh, ill-natured. Because if, if I remember properly, when Bradley started that celebration, he said it was from a school – in Florida, like I think the UCF guys or something like that, or USF team started that celebration and several NFL teams picked it up. And so I wonder if there's some connection with Shaq being in Tampa, but Shaq and Brett, Shaq and Bradley are friends. I don't, I'm, you know, unless it comes out that, Hey, he did that to mock Bradley Chubb. I'm not going to draw that conclusion just because there are players across the league and in different colleges that do that. And Bradley, I, I don't think that Shaq Barrett does that every week, Eric. I think that's the difference. He doesn't do that celebration every week, but he brought it back here. And let's just face it, Shaq Barrett not in Denver anymore because Bradley Chubb was the number five overall pick. Wasn't going to be a starter playing, you know, with Vaughn and Chubb here. So he decided to leave town. The Broncos decided, you know, not to pay him. But I think more than that, Chubb Barrett wanted to be a starter. So for him to get the big play here, have a nice game here, and then bust that celebration out, I personally just choose not to be naive about that. Okay. That was a personal game for Shaq Barrett. There's no question about it. That was a personal game. He wants to prove that last year wasn't a fluke. He led the league in sacks last year, and then he came back and he wanted to show everybody, look what, look what you're missing out on. Well, it's not, you know, he wanted to leave. Uh, th- that's what I'm saying. I don't think it's anything personal with Bradley Chubb. I don't think that has anything to do with Chubb. I think those two, I mean, I don't know what the relationship is like, but I would assume that they're friends. But I think that just has more to be like for Barrett to say, look what you could have had. Well, I mean, wouldn't it be better than to do a mile-high salute or something? Because if you do the rev and it truly is intended to mock Bradley Chubb, then that's what you're doing. No one's going to be like, oh, you're mocking uh, the front office for letting you go. 
that looks like you're just mocking a fifth overall pick who hasn't had a sack yet as he comes back from an ACL injury. Well, the two of them are connected, so maybe that's why that's why he chose that. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's just that he doesn't do that every week, so just seems like you're watching uh, sack celebrations. You break them. You breaking them down. I am. I happen to be a connoisseur. Okay, an I'll, aficionado. Um, I don't. I'm uh, willing to say here that I don't know enough about the situation, and I prefer to reserve judgment than as opposed to, you know, people being like, "Wow, Shaq just insulted Bradley Chubb's entire family." <laughs> I don't think I said that. No, someone probably has said that though. The internet. Okay. Is. Well, you need to get on the phone and call Bra- uh, Shaq Barrett and get to the bottom of this. Oh yeah. Got to do some R things. I've already. Uh, I, the, I want I answers. Dealers out to different sources to try to figure out if Shaq has ever done that before. Okay, good, good, good. Well, Eric, I think uh, one of the things that's been so disheartening about the start of the season is all of the hype from the off season. After the draft, we thought that hey, this team is going to have some weapons. This offense is going to be explosive. This defense is going to be improved. And uh, so far, those things aren't showing up on the field. But, hey, Fangio says that uh, he doesn't have to work extra hard to keep morale up. My morale is always going to be up, you know. It's a tough time. We've got to fight through it. We've got to keep pounding. And uh, that's what we plan on doing. But, I'm, you know, it's not going to break me or it's not going to break the staff. And we're going to keep pounding away. Eric, of course, he's uh, referring to a keep pounding. That's something that Sam Mills, one of his former linebackers who played for Fangio, uh, established when he was in Carolina. So Fangio uh, isn't stealing that from the Panthers. That's uh, definitely something that he it's well within his right to use keep pounding. And I think that's really the only mentality the Broncos can have right now. So you're saying that just because he – did something that was the same, it doesn't mean he's necessarily mocking somebody. Is that what you're he, saying? He was a part of that there. So, and it wasn't mocking. He is, a, is adopting that. Shaq Barrett wasn't adopting that sack celebration. He was saying, you shouldn't have drafted Bradley Chubb. You should have kept me, and I'm going to do his celebration. Goodness gracious. Just making sure we're on the same page there. But, uh, Eric, what do you think about that mentality? I think that that's all really the Broncos can do. It's cliche, but you say just next man up and keep playing, and eventually it's going to come together, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we hope so, right? You know, I think there's there's too much at stake to just – well, one, I think it's rude to just assume the players are going to phone it in just because there's too much at stake for a lot of these guys, you know, a guy like Shelby Harris, who played really well on Sunday against the Buccaneers, he's playing for a new contract. A guy like Jerry Judy or KJ Hamler, they're showing that they deserve to be drafted as high as they did. Noah Fant's trying to prove he's a top tight end in this league. Uh, if you're Garrett Bowles, you're playing for a contract. I mean, individually, there's a lot of things to play for here. But I think there's still team things. There's still team things to play for. Well, I think that all of those individual things go into how do you evaluate this team moving forward how can this be a year where um, even if you don't make the playoffs and and maybe there's some big turnaround here but just going off statistics it seems a little bit unlikely but can you use this year to build especially when Drew Locke comes back 
build on Pat Shermer's system so that going into 2021, you know, you've got a strong foundation. You know, like Vic Fangio said, after all the injuries, he's not going to insult anybody's intelligence. Like everyone would tell you the odds of going to the playoffs right now are a lot lower than anybody would like around here. And so, but you're not going to get all that back in a day. And so you've got to focus on the little things and how to play a clean game and hope that you win one this week. And then you stack those and you see where it takes you. But even if it doesn't take you to the playoffs, what I'm saying is there's still value to be gained from uh, that experience in Pat Shermer's system, more time in Vic Fangio's system that can help you in the future, even if it doesn't pay off this year. And it starts, you know, every long journey starts with one step, Eric. Oh my gosh. Okay. Don't, gonna, don't worry. I'm never going, you're never going to be confused and say like, wow, I think Eric was either honoring me or mocking me by repeating like some of the same crazy stuff I say on the podcast. You think I I'll say never, crazy things? You'll never have to worry about that. I was going to actually, I was going to go to the store and pick up some of those inspirational posters and just put them all across the building. You yeah. know, maybe, maybe put some of those up in the, in the, uh, in the locker room, teamwork, those kind of things. I saw a guy riding a motorcycle on my way to work this morning and I thought, wow, a motorcycle. That's what Bradley Chubb's celebration mimics. And so I was like, maybe that guy's saying the Broncos should have drafted him. Eric, if you choose to turn a blind eye to direct disrespect, that's a, that's your decision. I choose to live in the real world and be a big boy and understand how things operate. You, you can live in your dreamland where you think everybody's buddy, buddy, and nothing's a big deal. Dreamland. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You live in the dreamland. Uh, let's talk about a pathway for the Broncos to uh, get this thing turned around, Eric. And I think that, you know, a short week could be a blessing in disguise for them to just be able to wash the bad taste of this game out of their mouth. If they can get one win this week, then they could start to uh, maybe get some momentum, start to build some of that confidence, play with some more edge. That's one thing that I didn't see from the team really on Sunday. They were playing hard, but they didn't have that edge to them. They didn't seem fired up. And uh, maybe that's just by being down early and you just feel like you're going against Tom Brady and whatnot. But I think if they could just get some of that confidence back, uh, they could start to play a little bit better. And to me, that starts this week. It's easier to have confidence when you have good players on the field and when your best players are not hurt. So I think that when you say you, you sense like a lack of uh, intensity or, or moxie or something like that, the moxie comes when A.J. Boyday gets a pick and you celebrate it or Vaughn Miller decks a quarterback in the backfield. Um, so it goes along with playing well. To, to win this week, Phil, and, and to get back on track in general, on offense, you have to start by just improving the basic uh, ability to run a play. And that means identifying protections that need to be changed at the line, getting the ball out quickly, uh, being committed to the run. I mean, those are simple things, but we didn't see that necessarily happen in week three. And they have to happen no matter who's at quarterback against the Jets. And, you know, if you can do that, if you can get the ball out quickly, we saw the Broncos move the ball toward the end of the game, even though the Bucks are probably in a little soft 
coverage there. Um, so do that. Defensively, you've got to somehow find a way to eliminate those big plays. I think it was Shelby Harris who said, we played well for – we play well, we play well, we play well, big play. And it just ruins kind of the momentum that you have. And then, Phil, I don't know how, to, how else to say it, but you, you cannot just give up easy points or easy yardage the way that they have at times, whether that's a bad penalty or a blown coverage or uh, a blocked punt or dropping a snap in the end zone. I mean, those are things that this team doesn't have the margin for error to do right now. And, you know, bad teams around the NFL tend to have similar characteristics like a lot of people are going to talk about how the Jets are 0-3 and, and not that good of a team and the Broncos should be favored to go win that game there. But like the if you look at their game against the Colts, they didn't play all that bad, but you have two pick sixes the way they did in the first half and boom, you're out of the game. So like the Jets are making those mistakes the same way the Broncos are making those mistakes that end up costing themselves the opportunity to win games. So that's one thing. Clean up those mistakes. Play sound football. And then and then to me, have some some sort of an identity, Eric. Good teams have an identity that's like, hey, you're about to face the Broncos. This is what they like to do. They like to pound the football. They like to air it out. They like to do X, Y, Z. I think that the Broncos are going to have to sort of identify what their identity is. And whether that's running the ball with Melvin Gordon and playing smash mouth football, let's try to do that. Or, hey, we're going to air it out. We're going to take some shots down the field. We're going to do this. This sort of – we're going to try and score as many points as possible. I would probably like an offense that's identity is to score a lot of points. I mean, that'd well, be you can win a lot of games by running the football efficiently, dominating time of possession, playing good defense, creating turnovers against a young quarterback and Sam Darnold. That's, that is a pathway to winning this game. Sure. I mean, no one's saying that there's no pathway to win here. All I'm saying is that a lot of teams can win in different ways and I'm not sure right now that the Broncos can win in different ways. You know, I I don't think they have that opportunity to go win a shootout. I'm not, you know, and we'll just like, we'll we'll call it as it is. The Jets are struggling right now and so are the Broncos. And so we're, you know, what should be a game where with a healthy Drew Locke and Von Miller and Cortland Sutton, you'd think, well, this is one that you expect to go out and win. I mean, I think this is, this is still going to be a tough game. I mean, this is not a, a pushover in any way just because of where both teams are no there's when you're yeah. 0 and 3 there are no such things as pushovers so what about turnovers turn apple turnover no apple turnovers no apple turnovers so uh yeah is everything a, a okay there, a, by the way? It sounds a little um you know, the garbage people have just stopped by to pick up. Uh, so Ben Swanson is stopping by. The dumpsters. I wouldn't call him a garbage man. I like Ben Swanson. Got it. Yeah. But you came close to calling Bradley Chubb that. Garbage? That's essentially, no, I think I if you rewind the tape, you got pretty close. No, I didn't. I, I just think that I understand what motivates some of these players. And I think that You're Shaq Barrett. Oh. You're dialed in. Shaq Barrett 
was motivated. He took this game personally. And to me, it's not a coincidence that he busted out that celebration. I'm taking this podcast personally. Yeah, because you're a silly little boy. <laughs> they just going out there and playing hard, right, Phil? No, Eric. Uh-huh. They're just doing it for good competition. Nope. It's personal. So you could choose whatever you can choose to believe whatever you want. Anyway, Eric, are we going to come back and have a uh, preview podcast of uh, what to expect in this game against the Jets? It depends if we're still feuding. I'm never feuding with you. I can disagree with you and move on and still you're my everything. So I can't feud with you. Got it. I guess I'll let you know then. Don't do that to me, Eric. <laughs> Don't say it. No, I think we'll be back. I mean, just because it's a short week doesn't mean people don't want their content. I mean, they need to be informed about this team and what the odds of getting to one and three are. Exactly. One and three is uh, where the Nuggets like to have. Well, they 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 used to. They they used to. (laughs) Until they ran into the king. That's true. That's true. Congratulations to the Nuggets on a tremendous season. We're just, con- we're just congratulating teams now that don't accomplish their goals. I'm going to say congratulations to the Nuggets. Got it. That was a great run. That's what I'm going to say. That was a great run. But at the same time, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. And I think it's silly to say, oh, they're a young team and they'll be right back. I don't, I don't subscribe to that sort of thought. But um, if at the beginning of the year you told me that that team would have made the Western Conference Finals, I, I would have took it. Yeah, little gentleman sweep. It was nice. Sorry, your internet cut out there for a second. No, so I, mean, I do think that uh, at one in three, you can per- you can perhaps fire yourself up to go to New England with one last gasp, essentially. One, maybe not one last gasp, but um, a realistic gasp of you know you beat you beat a beatable Jets team. And then you give it everything you got in New England to try to get to two and three and come back to play the Dolphins at home. And, you know, all is not lost yet, but you have to, have to, have to, have to win this week. Yeah, I'll say that. And I think that, uh, you know, they've dropped uh, before yesterday, they dropped a couple of close games. Maybe they could turn the page, get a win against the Jets, and who knows what happens in New England. Don't want to think too far down the road like that, but uh, it starts all this week against a a Jets team that's in a very similar position to the Broncos, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll be be back later on in the week to break down this Jets game and get into some more of the nitty-gritty there. Um, a little bit later in the week. But, Eric, anything else you want to comment on here uh, on this Monday? No, once my sources get back to me about the Shaquille Barrett, I'll, uh, I'll update you. I'll teach, yes. I'll teach you some stuff. Oh, thank you. Uh, speaking of uh, teaching me a couple of things here, I've got um, – let me go back and look at my notes here from, uh, the, from the podcast from last week. I think that you said that uh, Judy would have a touchdown. Nope. You said that Ojemudia would have an interception. Nope. And you said that uh, you felt like the Buccaneers were going to have the ball in the fourth quarter and require a comeback right. uh, to, to win that game. They did have the ball in the fourth quarter. 
to win the game. You said it would require a comeback by the Bucks. Um, I don't recall. Yeah. You said the Buccaneers would have the ball and would win the game. I thought I said that. Nope. And I said Michael Ojemudia would uh, hold Mike Evans to two yards. I think I said that. So how about I teach you a couple of things? Okay, yeah. Your next pre- your next prediction or bold take will be your first, so we'll keep listening for that. That it'll be a bold take? That, no, it'll be your first – your f- next bold take will be your first one. Got it. That means you've never done it before. You're calling me milk toast? <laughs> yes. Well, we should come up with something instead of milk toast. Like, uh, we should be like uh, vanilla yogurt. Mm. Like you're, you're vanilla yogurt. Got some good ones, but I don't think uh, I can say them. Oh, maybe off air. Yeah. Okay. You can say, like, you're Ben Swanson, because that's just mean. That is. That's mean, huh? I wouldn't say that. Oh, wow. I would not. I'd take that as a compliment. Yeah, I'd say, thank you. I've I've been working on my painting skills. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a beard. Sketch bad. Yeah. I'm I'm trained in... uh, six different languages and no CPR and uh, can tie 27 different knots. And uh, um, I enjoy spending time at the Botanic Gardens. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think it's time to wrap this, uh, this show up. We'll be back later in the week to break down the Jets. But until then, for Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Milani. You've been listening to The, the Neutral, Neutral Zone. Zone. Neutral Zone.